What is the happiest you've ever been? The happiest you've ever been. I don't know uh, the happiest I ever have been. That is a hard question. I've had a lot of good days. Um, But I can't remember a time in which I was so happy that I leapt. That I got up and jumped around the room. The closest thing I can think of was when my wife, Mariana, found out we were having a girl. Uh, we kind of got to flip-flop the thing where she surprised me, telling me we were pregnant. I didn't know, so she surprised me and videotaped it and all that. I got to find out the gender first, so then I got to video her. Uh, we both wanted a girl so, 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 so bad. For whatever reason, we were determined we're having a girl. We got to. Praying for a girl. And then I got the news. Got the phone call. Y'all having a baby girl. And so I go home. And I got my camera out. We had dinner with people. We had to wait. It was driving her crazy because she knew I knew. And <laughs> uh, We had to wait till uh, our visitors left. And she was like, all right, come on. Come on. Come on. And so I videoed her. And she jumped up and down like a little girl. Leaping for joy. When she found out we were having a girl. In this passage of scripture today, you might think of it more as a kid's playground than a first century church. There is leaping, running, and turning. Not on the monkey bars, not on the swing sets, but uh, in the temple. In the temple. Chapter 3 introduces sort of the storyline of where this book is going and the acts of the apostles and the Holy Spirit, right? First two chapters have been sort of introductory, explaining uh, that Jesus has ascended, that they've been made his witnesses, and that Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit descended. And so now the storyline is sort of beginning. What happened? What are the actions? What are the, the things that took place? That is what Luke is now going into detail. And we remember from chapter 2, just the end of that chapter, they were teaching and had fellowship, had all things in common, Uh, But we also see that the apostles, it says, were doing many signs and wonders among them, filling the people with amazement and awe and fear and reverence for the Lord because of the work, uh, the miracles that the apostles were doing. Luke didn't tell us what kind they were doing, but now in chapter 3, he does tell us at least one miracle that took place among the apostles. The healing of the lame man would be a good place to start, Luke records. This event was given to the believers to inspire awe and worship, right reverence before God. It was also given for the unbelievers as a sign of something bigger, uh, more than just weak knees being able to stand up. This is a picture of God's promise being kept that the Christ would suffer and die and be raised from the dead and then offer himself to those who were near and then to those who were far off. The mystery revealed, as we read in Ephesians chapter 3. He would offer himself first to those inside the temple who rejected him, who denied him, who killed him, and then to those on the outside of the temple. Beloved, we are those outside the temple. This text is about us, and it's good news for us. And the main goal, I think, of this sermon is for us to just hear the words rise up and walk And just be amazed that God saved us. (laughs) I don't think I have any other purpose in this sermon than just to give you that. 
If we walk away amazed that God saved us, we've done our job. Okay? But we follow the kids at the playground. Leaping, running, and turning. Leaping, running, and turning. Uh, Verses 1 through 10 begin with our old friends, Peter and John, Jesus' disciples. Um, They're going to the temple to pray at the ninth hour. And remember, the Christians had not taken over the temple at this point. It's not like this was their temple. This was still the Jewish temple. But they were very public and forthcoming about their faith in Christ. And the temple was kind of the most obvious place for them to meet. It was big. It was public. It was a place they could go and evangelize others and study and preach. Um, and here Peter and John are going there to pray. Uh, and, and evidently it was a pattern. They were praying at the ninth hour every day. Uh, and as they went, we remember you know, a time when Peter and John also ran to an empty tomb together. And here they are still now running together, knowing full well that Jesus is alive, calling others now to rise up and walk, just as they discovered the empty tomb that day. They never actually make it to the prayer meeting. They see a man born lame, meaning he's unable to walk, lame from birth, who sat, carried daily at the gate of the temple, called the beautiful gate, to ask people for money. Here's a man who had spent his entire life being carried to the temple to sit outside of it as people came in to ask them for anything they could give, any mercy they might show. Everyone knew this man. Peter and John had likely seen him there before. Imagine that every Sunday when we came together, there was somebody who sat at the front door Week in and week out, without fail, he's there asking for money. Eventually, that would be very normal. All of us would know exactly who he was. We'd know him by name, right? While it would be sad, this would be very normal. And to paint the picture even more clearly, he was completely dependent. He was being carried there, maybe by family members. His only way of living was casting himself upon the mercy of the religious people who entered into the gate. And it's called the beautiful gate. The entrance to the temple was this beautiful, bronze, ornately put together uh, gate that that showed great um, honor and, and reverence as you entered into the temple. And below those heavenly bars sat a man who not only could not walk, but who was not allowed inside that gate. Why? He was lame. He was lame. And it was the thought in those days that this was due to sin. Not only could you not enter with some uh, uh, um, abnormality or, or some deformity or something wrong with you, like physically, but, but it was also seen like John 9, right? The man who was born blind. Who sinned? Was it him or his parents? that he was born blind. This was their thought process, and he was not allowed to go into the temple because of his lameness. He could only sit at the entrance and watch one by one as thousands of people went inside day after day and hoped that perhaps a few of them would throw a few pennies in his direction. It was a day like any other until Peter and John got there. 
And there was a divine eye contact. He saw them. They saw him. Verse 4 says, Peter directed his gaze and said, look at us. Look at us. Eyes locked both directions, fully engaged, anticipation. The text says he, he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something. And then Peter breaks that, that tension for a moment. In verse 6, those famous words, Peter says, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Peter took him by the hand, the right hand, and raised up this man who had never walked a day in his life. The text says his feet and his ankles were made strong. He leaped up off the ground. He leaped up. And he stood and he walked. And then he entered the temple leaping and praising God. This is a miracle of God. A man who never walked a day in his life, the muscles in his legs, weak, unstable, never supporting his body weight. But now in the name of Jesus Christ, the strong name of Jesus of Nazareth, the very power of God who raised Jesus from the dead, now raises this lame man up to walk. And he didn't walk. He didn't just walk, right? He leaped for joy, praising God, running into the temple. When we see the word leap, uh, we ought to get some cues. They would have got some cues when Luke wrote this. Of all the miracles and the apostles that the apostles did, why does Luke record this one? Why does he start here? I think because of the word leap used twice in verse 8. It's kind of like when I say Marco, you say, Hello. Well done. Y'all paying attention. When Luke said leaping, they said Isaiah 35. They said, salvation has come. Isaiah 35 says, strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. God has done it. The lame man walks. Salvation and the kingdom of God has been ushered in through the proclamation of the gospel. It now means that the kingdom of God has come. Refreshment and joy and redemption is taking residence upon the earth. It means that people outside the temple can now enter the beautiful gate through the strong name of Jesus. What's the first thing he did when he was healed? Straight to the temple. Wouldn't it be so weird if he ran the other way? That, right? He ran to the temple. Decade after decade watching the wealthy religious people go into the presence of God. That's what the temple was, right? This was a place where you go and be in the presence of God. So one place he's not allowed to be, but now his day has come. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Verses 9 and 10, all the people see what's taking place here. And, and they recognize the man, born lame now, walking. And they're filled with wonder and, the, and amazement, right? 
And, and nobody said, hey, that's not the same guy. Nobody said, ah, nice trick, nice, nice stunt double you got there, apostles John and Peter. This was not contested. Everybody saw it. Everybody knew it, just like Jesus' resurrection. Everybody saw it. Everybody knew it. No contest. A public miracle. The same man they saw day after day after day since he was a kid. Now walking and leaping and praising God inside the temple. And I think this contrast of the poor layman sitting next to the beautiful gate is important for us, which is why Luke writes the way he does. Why did Peter say, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you? We often think this is some kind of excuse for us to not have to give money to the poor, right? We just give them a gospel tract and move on with our lives. That ain't it, right? Peter was saying, the Jews here, they come into this temple day after day after day, this beautiful gate, have much silver and gold, just like this gate with silver and gold on it. Some of them even give you of their silver and gold. But your problem cannot be fixed with silver and gold. No matter how much silver and gold you receive, you will never be allowed in the presence of God as a lame man. Silver and gold will never cause you to rise up and walk. You cannot buy your way into God's acceptance. And of course, by all appearances, this is the way you would have thought it worked. The, the wealthy religious elites going to the temple day after day with their prestige and honor. Some of them going in to sell animals to make more money. This was a place for rich people, so it seemed. Many of the men and women would go there day after day, flaunting their wealth. Perhaps the lame man had fallen for the ruse that he too could obtain some kind of wealth or status or if he got enough money, maybe he could finally enter the beautiful gate. Beloved, there is only one way and one truth and one life that can make us worthy to enter God's presence. Only by the strong name of Jesus, who by his very death tore the curtain into the holiest place in the entire temple into shreds, allows us to now enter into relationship with God. Not the labor of our hands, not the money in our wallets, nothing can grant us entrance into the presence of God but Jesus in his blood alone. I heard another pastor preaching this passage, and he uh, told the story of the time St. Aquinas visited the Pope. And I really enjoyed studying St. Aquinas. I had to write a paper on him in seminary. Uh, he, was a, he was a jolly dude who just kind of said what he wanted to, wrote a lot about happiness in, in the Christian life. <clears throat> but he was invited to go and visit Pope Innocent II. And upon his arrival, he saw, he was kind of taken back by how expensive everything was. I mean, it's this, you know, big, high church, like, expensive place. And the Pope was literally counting money upon his arrival. And the Pope said to Aquinas, you know, the church no longer can say, silver and gold have I none. Aquinas said back to him, perhaps that's why the church can no longer say, rise up and walk. Indulgences 
by the Catholic Church, literal payment, monetary compensation for our sins, was perhaps the most disgusting and grimiest, blatant offense of the gospel the church has ever committed. What can wash away our sins? Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And guess what? That goes for Gentiles too, right? Number two, running, running, leaping, now running. Verses 11 through 16, uh, Peter seizes his opportunity with all of these people um, that have gathered uh, at Solomon's portico right outside the, the main entrance to the temple. Um, they wanted a closer look, right? What would you do if you saw a lame man running around? You might run away or run towards him. Uh, they ran towards him. They wanted to see if this thing was true. And before they were even given a chance to, to speak, Peter sees them gathering and he calls them out. You walk by this man every single day and now you're staring? Now your gaze is fixed at him? Why do you wonder at this? Do you think that our piety has caused this to happen? Our power has caused this to happen? We didn't heal this guy. It wasn't by our power that he now walks. And remember, we've talked a little bit about apostleship, right? Apostleship simply meant that Jesus' power and authority was delegated to these select few. They never saw themselves as little Jesuses. They never saw themselves as the sons of God, but as people employed by Christ, vessels for his own power and glory. Which means if you meet somebody that says, I can and have healed people, you should probably run really, really far away from them, right? I don't believe, I, I do believe that the Lord can still heal people. But what do they say? They say, we didn't heal him. Right? The apostles didn't even take credit for that. We didn't heal this guy. How does this man walk? He says, the God of your fathers did it. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of this temple who you come to worship every day has healed this lame man and allowed him to come inside. And how did he do it? Well, same way he glorified his own son, Jesus Christ. The same way that he raised him up. Remember that guy that you denied and rejected in the presence of Pilate? The holy and righteous one? And you asked for a murderer, Barabbas, to be freed in his place? You killed the author of life. God raised him from the dead. We are his witnesses. We saw it. Y'all saw it. We were there. This is the way it is. So how does this man walk? Verse 16, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter's laying it on thick, right? This is second sermon, by the way. He's got more experience now. First sermon was Acts 2. Second sermon, Acts 3. He's a little bit better of a preacher now. But this is also the turning point where things don't go so smoothly for the church. Right? Peter is saying, y'all killed him. Y'all killed him. Y'all killed him. Chapter 4, they get out the handcuffs. Right? Things were going okay, but, but now the offensive message of the gospel is going a little too far. The anger of the Jews is about to explode but they see the lame guy walking around. It's too much for their conscience, right? And no one likes being called a sinner. 
But the reality is that you and I, all of us, have sent Christ to the cross. We killed the author of life by our sinfulness, which deserves wrath forever from a holy God. Only instead of Barabbas, we chose ourselves to be saved. Because of our sin, Peter says in verse 23, we should be destroyed forever. And remember, Peter's talking from personal experience. How many times did he deny the holy and righteous one? One time? Two times? Three times? He still hears the echoing of the rooster's crowing as he preaches this sermon. Peter's well qualified to present the content of the gospel message because he himself is a sinner. And the irony of the content of the gospel message is that Jesus died to save the sinners that killed him. Our sin put him on the cross. But our sin is the very thing that he desires to wash away from us. And it had to be Jesus. It had to be the author of life, the holy and righteous one for this thing to work. A man did not die for sinners. An angel did not die for sinners. An apostle did not die for sinners. The author of life, God himself, the second person of the Trinity, shed holy blood to perpetually pay the constant debt of sin against a holy God. The only worthy sacrifice to forever satisfy God's wrath against our sin is his own beloved son with whom he is well pleased. No other substitute could have done this. He gave his life so we could be made clean and we could be the ones to enter the gate. God raised him from the dead. And by that same power, now he raises us from the dead. This is what baptism is, by the way, right? Dead in our trespasses and sins, buried with Christ, risen into newness of life. We don't have you know, literal deformities or disabilities that we need saving from, but we are dead from birth, right? We are totally depraved with sin, marred in our conscience. Something is desperately wrong with us. Our hearts are wicked. Who can know how wicked they are? We're born into sin, separate from God, not allowed in His presence. But by faith in his name, the one whom God rose from the dead, he takes our place. God says to us, just like he says, said to Jesus in the empty tomb, rise up and walk. And the emphasis here, especially in this passage, is all on the faith and the miracle of God. No works No obedience, no saying the right things, no praying a special prayer, no coming down the aisle. It's all God. It's a miracle or it's fake, right? He changes our hearts completely, dead to birth, made alive together forever with Christ. Friend, if you're here this morning and you have not trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, believed in Him as Lord and Savior, and had your heart reborn, believe on Him now. There's nothing you can ever do to earn it. You'll never have enough money to get there. There's nothing you can do to enter the temple. But faith in the strong name of Jesus Christ can and will make your heart well. 
receive the miracle of salvation, even now. Imagine how strange it would have been, right? As I said, if the man got up and he ran away from the temple. Instead, what does he do? He turns to the temple. Number three, turning, turning. Once the miracle of faith takes root in our hearts, we turn away from our sins and we turn toward God. This is how you know it was, it was legit, right? It wasn't just a cool healing of his legs. The man received God. And that's how the, the passage ends, verses 17 through 26. Peter drives the issue home even further, answering the common rebuttal, right? Well, how was I supposed to know it was Jesus? How was I supposed to know as the author of life? He says in verse 17, ignorance is not an acceptable excuse before God. None of us will be able to approach the judgment seat of Christ and say, I didn't know, and get a free pass. Maybe you didn't know, but Peter says you should have known. You should have known. God foretold through all the prophets that Christ would suffer. Literally, this message has been preached for thousands and thousands of years. Y'all should have known. God foretold through all the prophets that Christ would suffer. Every prophet, every priest, every king of the Old Testament pointed to this moment in history. Stop claiming ignorance. Repent and turn now. And in turning to God, instead of running away from Him, Peter gives three results that will take place if you turn to Him. He says, all your sins will be blotted out. Turn, turn to God. Saying, I didn't know, will not blot out your sins. But faith and repentance in the strong name of Jesus will blot out your sins. Imagine standing before the Lord and a list of every sin that you've ever committed is before you. And the blood of Christ takes the thickest black sharpie you've ever seen and just strikes through everything. Your sins can be blotted out as if you've never sinned a day in your life. Turn to Christ. He said, second thing he says, if you turn to Christ, times of refreshing will finally come. And that word refreshing has the connotation of finally being able to breathe. Like you were underwater as long as you could possibly take it and came up at the last second. <gasps> the Holy Spirit has come and descended. The breath of God now being breathed life into these believers. Turn to Christ and breathe for the first time. And listen, I know many of you, y'all people, are struggling this morning. I'm struggling, right? We've got things that concern us. Maybe you feel like you're just beat up from the world. You feel like sin and Satan are seizing the day and winning. You come home and you feel drained, exhausted, tired of how bad things are. Any of y'all? No? But the Holy Spirit came to bring times of refreshing. And those times are still here because the Holy Spirit is still here. Breathe deeply. The Holy Spirit hasn't left. God's kingdom has come. He's still ushering in the things of God right now. Take a deep breath. Remember your sins are blotted out. 
and remember that Jesus is coming back. That's the third thing he says. All things will be restored. You'll be with Christ forever. He's been received into heaven until that day comes. We are here as his witnesses proclaiming his resurrection until he returns. And when he does return, all things will be made new. The very earth itself will be restored to the Garden of Eden. Sinless will be saved to sin no more, redeemed forever. The earth and heavens will be made over and it will all be full of the glory of God in a pure, sinless state. And you'll be there, and Jesus will be there, and he'll be our king, and it's worth waiting on. Take a breath. This is all yours. If you turn to Christ, turn to Christ. But Peter says in verse 22, he says, don't take my word for it. This is Moses' words. And this is Samuel's words. And this is every prophet, prophet who ever wrote anything's words. Right? They were talking about Jesus the whole time. And rejecting this prophet who's come in the likeness of God will mean your permanent destruction. He's quoting Deuteronomy 18 where, where Moses says that there, there will come another, another prophet in the likeness of God. This was Jesus and they've rejected him. Not listening to these words is the worst thing you could do because you are sons of these prophets. Y'all should know better. You're heirs of the covenant. God told Abraham, I'm going to bless all the nations through you and through your offspring. You are Abraham's children. God raised up Jesus and he sent him straight to you to fulfill this covenant to bless all the families of the earth through you. And how is it that God will bless all the families of the earth? By turning everyone from their wickedness, he says in verse 26. God does the saving. He turns their eyes towards himself and away from sins. They proclaim Christ to the Gentiles. And eventually every family on the earth is blessed. Eventually every tongue on the planet, every heart confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then Jesus returns to make all things new. The families of the earth hear this. The families of the earth will not be blessed by the right political leaders. The families of the earth will not be blessed by the wealth of a particular nation coming to power or multiple nations coming together or coming apart. The families of the earth will not be blessed by moralism, pragmatism, nationalism, relativism, liberalism, conservatism, or any other ism. Jesus said, you are my witnesses. Go tell all the families of the earth what I did. You saw it. Y'all were there. The families of the earth will be blessed by the great commission being fulfilled. Do you want to bless your neighbor? Tell them that Christ is risen from the dead and has the power to blot out their every sin, bring times of refreshing through the Holy Spirit, and will return to make all things new. Tell them how to turn from their wickedness. That's the best way you can bless your neighbor, your family members, your children. Tell them to rise up and walk. Tell them to breathe for the first time. This is the work that will usher in the kingdom of God, which is how Acts 1 started. You're my witnesses. He was talking to them about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has now come. And that means, beloved, that we must be a gospel-centered people. We must be a gospel-centered people. And it blows my mind how that phrase is actually under attack somehow right now. 
being gospel-centered does not mean we only preach Jesus and we don't care about the social problems or just what's happening in the world in general. We don't give any silver or gold to poor people. That's not what being gospel-centered means. Being gospel-centered means that the proclamation of the gospel is the central cure for all the world's problems because the greatest problem of the world is sin. Being gospel-centered means that we believe if there were more Christians in Spindale, our community would be better for it. If there were more Christians in North Carolina, our community would be better for it. If there were more Christians in America, the, state, the nation would be better. If there were more Christians in the whole world, guess what? The world would be better for it. We believe that turning people from their wickedness through the gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest blessing God has given, and it will change everything. It is the power of the kingdom of God. So we preach the gospel over and over and over and we never get tired of it, right? We tell ourselves every day the gospel over and over and over again to keep ourselves in the love of Christ, to remember his death and his resurrection on our own account. We preach Christ from every page of scripture because all the prophets testify to him and we live out the gospel we live it as a manner of life, being gracious to outsiders in our public lives, carrying our cross with meekness and humility before all men. It means that we still get emotional when we read the words, rise up and walk. We treasure the strong name of Jesus of Nazareth. So, beloved, strengthen your weak hands. Make firm your feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the, uh, the lame shall leap like a deer, the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. Salvation has come. And it's okay for us to stand up and jump around the room if we hear that news. I might recommend it because it is the greatest blessing that God has ever given. And I believe that he is ushering in those times of refreshing at Main Street Baptist Church right now. I believe he's taken a church that was on the verge of dying and he's breathing life into it through the power of the proclamation of the gospel. Let's be happy about it. <laughs> Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus. That... That, that, that when we were dead from birth, born into sin, caused us to rise up and walk. Make us a gospel-centered people who believe in this truth above all else and are committed to it no matter the cost so that every family of the earth is blessed through hearing about the strong name of Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the Word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.